Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Political editor Pat Leahy is here because we wanted to have a quick chat about the Irish Times Ipsos MRBI poll, which we published yesterday and today, different parts of it. Pat, first of all, uh, this morning's results, very interesting on views on Irish unity. Yeah, good morning, Hugh. Um, yeah, it is um, It is interesting, I suppose. And, you know, how would you sum it up? We'd say a large majority of voters are in favour of a united Ireland, that's for sure. But in the long term, and they're opposed to some things that you might think would accompany persuading unionists to join in a new state, like a new national flag, a new national anthem, maybe paying higher taxes or curtailing public spending to pay for the cost of United Ireland, people are against all those things. It's not a, for the majority of voters, a United Ireland is something that they would like to see, but it's not a priority for them. Over half of all voters say that it's not very important to them, but they would like to see it someday. And, you know, contrast that with just 20% of people saying it's very important for them, and only 15% of people saying they want to see a referendum now. So I suppose the summary of all that is, yes, people are in favour of a united Ireland, but they're not in any hurry to see it. And they're opposed to many of the things that we might expect would accompany it at this stage. Maybe I could just pull out a couple of details in terms of what you're describing there. They were asked about a referendum and when it should happen. And as you say, 15% want it right now, 42% in the next 10 years, 16% in more than 10 years, and 13% never want to see a referendum. And then the relative importance, which you which you described, and that's over half the people who responded say it's not very important, but they'd like to see it uh, someday. 62% would vote yes in a referendum, 16% no. So that is a that is a strong voice in in favour of unity. But then the ones you were describing, which I did find sort of intriguing, and I I, I wonder what they really reveal, are these things about symbolic issues like the flag and the anthem. I'm sort of kind of, I have actually, I'm personally surprised that 72% think that our current national anthem with its wording would be appropriate for a unified state recognising the identity of a million Protestant unionists. I mean, what do you make of that? Do you think it's that people haven't thought about it? Or do you think that people are actually pretty obdurate in some of these questions? I mean, the data doesn't tell us, so we're supposing now, you know, but I, I, I guess it's probably a mix of those things and many other things. I mean, the meaning that I take out of it is that, you know, from that 62, 16, only 16% of people say that if there was a referendum that they would vote against it. So there's a thumping majority in favour of it. But that answer, I think, is given both in the knowledge that this question is not going to be put to them in the immediate future, but also in a sense that there's been nothing worked out about this, that the uh, a United Ireland is not a concrete set 
of proposals where those people who favour and are campaigning for a united Ireland might find difficulty, I think, in this poll, is any of those building blocks for a united Ireland. And, you know, Sinn Féin in particular talk about a new Ireland, not just a united Ireland, a new Ireland. But that new Ireland, if it is, as you say, going to encompass, you know, a million Northern Ireland unionists who might have been in a referendum in the north outvoted in that referendum, then things like the flag, the anthem, though it could be said about the anthem, I suppose maybe people are thinking that uh, it's either our own Novena or Ireland's call. And uh, I think I know which way they'd, uh, they'd go then, even some, uh, even some unionists. But, uh, but those building blocks for a new Ireland, a united Ireland, they seem to garner very little support. I mean, if you look down through the numbers, we asked about a new flag only 16% of people were in favour of that. 77% opposed. A new anthem, 21% in favour. 72% opposed. And then on to more practical things like, you know, the, the, the dealing with the costs of a United Ireland. Higher taxes. Only 15% of people are prepared to pay higher taxes to, to accommodate a United Ireland. 79% opposed, 13% prepared to have less money for public services, 79% opposed. Now, when you ask people about, uh, you know, a more theoretical and less precise measure, like closer ties to the UK, well, you get a different result there. 47% are in favour of that, though 42% uh, opposed. Um, You know, you ask about the idea of unionists in government and that. Yes, uh, 44% of people say they're prepared for that, but again, 42% opposed. Let me just ask you about that last one there, Pat, because that was one that jumped out at me. 42% of the people who responded don't want to see unionists in a Dublin government. Are they maybe interpreting that as a, you know, permanent power-sharing arrangement, something similar to what you have in Northern Ireland? Because it would seem very strange that people who describe themselves as Democrats in favour of a unitary state never want to see unionists. In a, in, a, in, a, in a Dublin government in a united Ireland? Yeah, well, look, you know, I suppose these questions are asked in the vacuum of concrete proposals. And certainly, you know, there is no constitutional blueprint for what a united Ireland might look like. One of the ideas that is kicked around is that you would have along the lines of uh, the infrastructure in or the architecture in Stormont that you have a guaranteed spot in the Southern government or the All-Ireland government for unions. Now, I don't really know how you would go about doing that in our polity. You have a mandatory unionist part in a, in a governing coalition. I think that would be difficult. But the idea is one of those that is out there. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost half and half of people opposed to that. Now, I'm not sure that we can interpret into that whether it is that particular you know, proposal for a constitutional, a new constitutional architecture that they're opposed to, or if they just don't like the idea of unionists uh, in government. I, I, Probably a bit of both. I suspect, I suspect a bit of both. But, but either way, you take all these things together and that, that assimilation of Britishness and in a way making a united Ireland more British than the current Irish state, 26 county state is, there's significant political resistance 
to that. And even, you know, something like the, the last of those questions that we asked about the Commonwealth, you know, just 14% of people prepared to join the Commonwealth, which is, you know, a largely symbolic sort of gesture, I would have thought 71% of people uh, not prepared to consider that. So I can imagine some people might look at these numbers and they might um, read them as follows. There is work to be done here. People need to actually start teasing out these issues and the country needs to start figuring out exactly what it thinks about these issues. And I'm sure a lot of the people who are involved in some of the civic society groups which have emerged over the last two or three years, which are putting forward forums and other areas of debate around these subjects, they would say that's exactly the job of work that they're going about at the moment and that these figures in a way support the need for that work. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, I think they will. And that's a perfectly valid interpretation to, uh, to, to put on it. But if you were to sum up the mood of the public on this, I, I, I mean, I think it would not be. I mean, we have no evidence today that the public is urging these discussions to take place or a constitution or, a, you know, an assembly, uh, a citizens assembly to take place to work out these questions. There isn't in this data, I think, any evidence of uh, uh, that sense of urgency among people at large. What there is, is a general affiliation to the idea of a united Ireland, but a strong sense of, Arisha, what's your hurry? OK, stick with us. We'll be back after this break and we'll be discussing the state of the parties. And welcome back. I'm looking at this weekend's Irish Times opinion poll. And Pat, we were going to discuss now the state of the political parties, which were published in yesterday's newspapers. And it's more good news for Sinn Féin. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could see some raised eyebrows in Sinn Féin on the United Ireland numbers, but there is no doubt that, you know, politically speaking, the party is on a massive roll at the moment. It's at 35%, its highest ever showing in this series. It's got a 15-point lead over Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, who were both on 20%. And I made the point in my analysis piece yesterday that if the trends that we have seen so far this year continue in to next year, and there is, I think, some reason to expect that they will, at some time in the first half of 2022, Sinn Féin will pass out the uh, combined support of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, which really is a measure of how much the political landscape has shifted. Yeah, because people talk a lot about how different Ireland is now from it was, say, 30 years ago, when the two big parties, as were, dominated with well over 80% of the vote between them. And now we've moved into a completely different environment where I've heard some commentators say, well, they still together they amount to the largest single political bloc. And the fact that they're, they're sharing government obviously goes to support that proposition to some extent. But now, as you say, we may be moving towards another tipping point. And you see it in some of the more detailed breakdowns in this week's poll, the state of the parties among younger people, for example, and the state of the parties in certain geographical areas, where you go, actually, Sinn Féin already in some of those demographics account for more than the sum combined total of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Oh, they're, they're miles ahead of the combined total in the younger demographics. I mean, you take 18 to 24-year-olds and 25 to 34-year-olds. Sinn Féin, in that 25 to 34-year-old cohort, they're at 47%. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, between them, are at 26%. So, you know, you can see the extent to which 
Sinn Féin has been successful on two fronts. First of all, really consolidating and building upon the support it had in those areas in which it was already strong in the amongst younger voters, amongst working class voters, but also how it is beginning to build its support in areas that were previously more or less off limits to us. Wealthier voters, middle class uh, voters, older voters, all of these uh, we see uh, Sinn Féin's numbers increasing over the last uh, 18 months. Now, you know, we are in midterm. We are at a difficult... Oppositions tend to do well in midterm. Governments tend to do badly. And the biggest question, I think, in Irish politics at the moment is to what extent is this cyclical and to what extent is it structural? My guess is that, you know, some of it's cyclical, some of it's structural. Easy answer, uh, I know, but um, but that's what you, I mean, that's what you would expect looking over, you know, the history of uh, of these things. But many of the, you know, many of the principles that we would have taken before to guide us about electoral performance, you know, that Fianna Fáil in government tends to recover towards a general election campaign. Many of those rules are simply no longer true. Irish politics has been turned upside down. That hasn't happened in the last 18 months. It's been happening since the financial crash in 2008 and has found expression in the elections since then in 2011, in 2016 and 2020. We would be foolish, I think, to expect that that process is now at an end. Rather, uh, I, I think it will continue over the coming years. Can I ask you, and always with the caveat that things can change enormously between now and the next election, which is probably three three years or, or so away, if Sinn Féin continues in this trajectory, or even a little bit more than it has already done at its current 35% or thereabouts, we do find ourselves in a new landscape again where Sinn Féin is definitively by a significant amount the largest party and it faces a a fractured political landscape on the other side and it might find itself in a position where it can achieve quite significant seat bonuses perhaps something even more significant than it might have hoped for a year or so ago. I look at these numbers in places like Dublin and other areas and I say well these are the kinds of numbers now where you know Sinn Féin on a good day could be getting three seats out of five in constituencies. Yeah Yeah, now obviously that's a constituency by constituency question and it depends not just on national strength but on the calibre of candidates that the party can muster and run in each constituency. You know, let's scroll forward a bit and let's say in, you know, in if we had another year of this trend and for argument's sake, Sinn Féin was in the early 40s and Fianna Fáil, Sinn, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael still mired in the 20s are the late teens, you know. I, I think the discussion at that stage would be, well, can Sinn Féin win an overall majority? Now, my suspicion is that the days of overall majorities have departed Irish politics for good. But that will be, uh, that you know, that, that is likely to be a discussion. You see, even now, it's hard to find anyone in Leinster House that doesn't believe that Sinn Féin uh, will lead the next government. And as the next election approaches, that leading status, whether it be, you know, expectation of an overall majority or simply the expectation that they lead a coalition government will entail more scrutiny on Sinn Féin and on its policies. They will have to spell out more and more, I think, what change 
means and uh, rather than simply calling for change. Now, you might find that there's an awful lot of people like what the Sinn Féin vision of change means. But I think that is perhaps where they may come under pressure amongst, you know, the wealthier voters, for instance, given that the Sinn Féin economic manifesto is likely to be a boilerplate redistributionist platform, such as we saw from them in the last general election, so that people who are, you know, maybe contemplating voting for Sinn Féin may face a direct financial hit if there is a Sinn Sinn Féin government. Now, you would expect that to have some break on their support. On the other hand, we see amongst younger voters, you know, driven in many respects by, uh, you know, by the housing crisis, which is unlikely to be, whatever about it, ameliorating over the next two years, it's certainly not going to be fixed. So that engine behind the Sinn Féin rise in uh, amongst those cohorts, I think will keep uh, will will keep roaring. So it's a mixed picture, but I think what we can say is that uh, you know the, the idea or the hope amongst some people in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael that the Sinn Féin vote when an, an election approaches will collapse like a bad souffle. Um, I, I I just can't see that. The other really significant trend in the parties over the last year and a half, which has been less commented on than the rise of Sinn Féin, is the decline of Fine Gael from a high of around 37% last summer, in summer in 2020, to 20% now. That's pretty calamitous, isn't it? Yeah, but to some degree, it's a reversion to the mean hue. I mean, uh, you know, if you look at, I mean, I don't have it in front of me here, but if you look at the, you know, the graph of Fine Gael support, it grew from around 20%, low 20s um, at the time of the last general election. And it rocketed up in that period after the last election, but before the formation of the current government, between February and June of last year, when they were essentially a caretaker government uh, and were dealing with the first wave of the pandemic. And at that stage, party support went from 20-odd percent in February, up to 37% in June of, uh, of last year. Since then, and we took, our, our, you know, we took a poll in, in June of 2020, we took one in September, October, I can't remember, uh, October probably. Fine Gael support started to fall in that October poll, and it has fallen in every single poll that we have done since then. So, you know, that is highly worrying, of course, for Fianna Gael, the way they could have that support and it, uh, and it just bleed away from them like that. But to some degree, they're going back to where they were at the, uh, at the last general election. So they had an unnatural COVID bump to some extent. And in fact, we do ask some questions about government policy in relation to COVID and uh, the public's view on restrictions as well, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we asked um, how people think the government has handled the uh, the pandemic. We asked, you know, all in all, trying to just get people to look a bit beyond, uh, you know, the situation, say, this week about it. Do they think the government has done a good job or a bad job handling the pandemic? Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a strong majority in favour of a good job. There's 57% of people say the government has done a good job. 29% say they've done a bad job. Now, that is a decline from October when we asked a similar, not identical, but similar question. And at that point, government was on like a 75% approval rating for its uh, management of COVID. So that is a decline, but it's still very strongly in net 
positive territory uh, for for the government. And what it says, I think, is that the government haven't yet, anyway, lost the public on COVID. But we also asked a series of questions on potential restrictions. Given where we are at the moment, and we thought it might be instructive just to see what is the public tolerance towards further restrictions. And what we find is that there's a whole series of potential restrictions that the public might be prepared to consider, but other ones tending towards a proper lockdown that they're strongly opposed to, most strongly opposed to schools and colleges being uh, being closed. It's uh, 72% of people who say they don't want the government to even consider the closing the schools and um, uh, and colleges. Similar numbers on banning attendance at outdoor sporting events, closing retail, closing non-essential retail, closing bars and restaurants. However, there is some tolerance for uh, things like continuing mask wearing on 9 to 12 year olds, limiting numbers in bars and restaurants, limiting household gatherings over Christmas. And most surprising to me, uh, at least, was that a, a slim majority in favour of government considering banning international travel. 54% uh, say they should consider that. Only 41% say they shouldn't consider it. So I think the picture there is there is some further tolerance for restrictions with uh, uh, amongst the public, but it is pretty soon that runs into the roadblock if a full lockdown was to be was to be considered. Although most of the restrictions which people were in favour of there are actually already in place in terms of limited numbers in, in hospitality, limits on the numbers of people in households. So the international travel is the outlier there, I think. Yeah, and it's it's noticeable that that is, it's a much tighter split on that 54 to 41. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, I mean, look, it, it's 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 a mixed picture as it always is, but I think it displays some degree of public tolerance for further restrictions, but not for a lockdown. We should say that we're going to be publishing more data next week, and we did think we might cover it in a slightly different way. So on Monday, Inside Politics is going to be holding its first ever live discussion via Twitter Spaces. If you're a Twitter user, you may be familiar with Spaces, and if you follow the Irish Times account, you'll be alerted on Twitter when our chat is about to begin, which is on Monday at 10.30am. And if you don't have a Twitter account, well, maybe now's the time to join, as you're probably aware. It's a it's a lovely place where everyone is very civil and respectful to everyone else and where complex ideas can be can be teased out in a in a thoughtful and a, and a measured way isn't that true but stick it up your arse you thank you for that pat uh, anyway, uh, Twitter does have its own uses and we hope that you will join us for that chat on Monday at 10.30. Until then, thanks to Pat and to our producer Declan Conlon. We'll be back in your feed very soon indeed. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>